Welcome to Noble with Jason Noble, the podcast where we talk about HR and career issues. I'm your host, Jason Noble. We're here to share funny and interesting stories and advice in a transparent and down-to-earth approach. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Noble Podcast. I'm Jason, your host. I have a very special guest today to talk about leadership. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Oakland McCullough is an international recognized keynote speaker and the author of the 2021 released Your Leadership Legacy, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be. Both his leadership talk and his book are based on his 40 plus years of leadership experience in combat, peacekeeping operations, disaster relief operations, and in the boardroom. Oak highlights principles that will benefit today's leaders and inspire the leaders of tomorrow in any profession and at any level of leadership. Oak, welcome to the Noble Podcast, and thank you for your service. Yeah, well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate you having me on the show. Like we said, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, so so let's, let's talk about a little bit uh, about leadership. So what does an effective leader look like? Yeah, so for me, it, I, you know, there's all kinds of different names of le- leadership styles out there, and we got to have those names, I guess. I think a lot of that's academic stuff. But for me, it's about servant leadership. It's about taking care of people. And uh, because that's what leadership is about. It's about people. And if you take care of people, then you'll get what you want in the end. You know, because when I tell people that, I tell people, you know, it's not about you. It's all about you. Not about you and the titles you get or the pay you get or the privileges you get. That's all nice. But that's, if that's the only reason you want to be a leader, then go do something else. It's about how you treat the people that you have the privilege to lead. And it is a privilege to lead them. And when I tell people that, especially young people, they say, but Colonel McCullough, I really want my next promotion. I want my next pay raise. And I said, if you do this right, you'll get those things because you'll make yeah. the people in your organization better, which will make your organization better and you'll get what you want. But not because you were greedy, but because you actually took care of people. You did it for the right reasons. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about what prompted you to, uh, to write the book. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been wanting to write that book for a long time. And I've been given, I've been a public speaker for 30 something years as an army officer. People wanted you to come talk. I just never got paid for it, but they always wanted me to come <laughs> talk. Um, so I, I, I've always wanted to write that book on the, on the leadership because that's the presentation I've been given for 30 something years. Um, and, and what really prompted me to do it, because I always wanted to do it, my wife and I and her mom and two other people that live here in the condo, we went to a, an event at our Catholic church. It's kind of a, it was kind of a motivational slash how do we grow the Catholic church event. And it was a three-hour-long event, and the guy who was the motivational speaker was a great speaker. And he talked for 45 minutes, take a 15-minute break, talk for 45 minutes, took a 15-minute break, and talked for 45 minutes. And each break, I went up and I talked to him because he was doing what I wanted to do. He was speaking publicly. And, and he'd written a couple books. And uh, I, I kind of picked his brain every single break. And then at the end, we got done talking, and he turned around. He was getting ready to walk away. And he turned around and he said, Oak, have you written a book? And I said, well, I'm thinking about it, Jonathan. And he said, stop thinking about it and write it. And so I went home that night 
and I wrote out the table of contents. That was the 15th of February, 2020. And I started writing the book the next day and I published it on the 12th of February, 2021. So I guess I just needed permission to go ahead and do it. <laughs> so where, where did you, where did you develop your leadership skills from? Was it all from the, uh, from the army? No, uh, you know, in high school, it really started in high school. I think, you know, I had, I was captain of my baseball, basketball, football team. I was student government president. I had a lot of good mentors. I had two really good mentors in high school. My high school basketball coach, Coach Terry who I still stay in contact with, and my high school history teacher, who I, I kept in contact with up until last week when he, he died. Uh, he, um, but both of them were very servant leader type oriented and kind of influenced me. And then, you know, I, then I had my 23 years in the army and then I ran, ran the day-to-day -day operations of a food bank for a couple of years. And I learned some lessons there as well and, and grew my skills, uh, of leading at the food bank. So I'll, most of it came from the army, but not all of it. Okay. And you know, there's, there's different types of leadership. You talked about servant leadership overall, when you, um, when you look at, uh, corporate America for example, like what is your opinion of leadership today? Are you finding that the young people are motivated um, to, you know, to, do you find there's um, good leadership skills? Do you find it's lacking? Like, what are you seeing today in corporate America? So I think there's a variety. I think there are some good leaders out there, but I think in my opinion, a lot of the leaders today are in it all for themselves, including, and that's in every profession at every level, including the government, including the military. I see a lot of senior military leaders today that are in it just for themselves, their next promotion, what they're going to get afterwards. And, and I, I think that's one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about getting out and talking to as many people as I can, because I think we have to change that attitude. It isn't about you. It's about the people you have the privilege to lead. And I think this great re resignation that we're seeing across the world, but certainly across North America, where people are leaving jobs, I think a lot of that is because of leadership. They are tired of working for people who don't care about them and don't take care of them. And they're trying to find somebody that's going to. And, and, and that's the thing. That's an excellent point is you talk about like, People, I'm, I'm seeing it because I'm in recruiting. People are checking out, you know, Absolutely. it's, but this is, I, I know it's been going on a while in corporate America. People, um, you know, you work for a job for a few years. Typically it was like back in the day, it was, you worked for about five to 10 years and then you kind of moved on. But what I'm seeing today is people are in a job 12 to 18 months and then I'm out of there. It's right. the company doesn't care about me. The manager doesn't care about me, which speaks to ineffective leadership. So, so let's talk about what key mistakes do poor leaders make? Uh, so I think there's a couple things. I think one is that poor leaders, uh, lack communication skills. Um, and I, and I see that a lot today, especially younger leaders. And I blame that a lot on these iPhones. You know, they've grown up, they, they don't know how to talk to somebody in person. And, you know, and I recruited for 12 years on a college campus for Army ROTC. 
And I was just shocked as people came in to, for interviews at the lack of interview skills. And if you can't, if you don't have that conversational piece at that level and we're not teaching it, then how are, you, how are they going to get any better? And so those are the people who are being promoted up throughout the ranks. And I, I think communication skill is one. I think number two is I think that one of the mistakes people, leaders are making today is that they don't understand and they don't develop a community, not just a team, but a community. They don't try different things to get people to, to know each other and, and trust each other in the office. So it's just, I'm coming to work and that's what it is. It's just a job and I'm getting a paycheck and I'm going home. Whereas if, if you develop a community now, they might even make friends with the people they work with, but they certainly will know their name and know a little bit about them uh, in the workplace, which will make it a little bit more enjoyable to be there. So let's talk about that last point, community. So, you know, well, since COVID, we've, you know, a lot of people have shifted to either hybrid or remote. So it's very difficult to get everyone together in the office. You know, back in the old days when you and I were working, you would, you know, go grab lunch with people and build a relationship that way. Now that doesn't seem to be happening. So like, how do you build a community if you have someone not even in the office, not even working with you? How do you yeah. build a relationship remotely? Yeah, I, I think I think it can still be done. Obviously, it takes a lot more effort and a conscious decision to do it. So, you know, we, we still have Zoom meetings. If you got people working remote, you, I'm assuming that you still do Zoom meetings to, to put out information to people. If you're not, then again, I'm not sure what kind of leader you are. Um, but you have that, those Zoom meetings to talk about information. Well, why not have a Zoom meeting just to talk about the people? Give everybody a chance to introduce themselves. Give everybody a chance to talk a little bit about themselves. And then, then also, I think the other part of that is, is that, you know, you've got to publicly make a, you got to make a conscious decision to publicly acknowledge successes, events, you know, on somebody's birthday, somebody's anniversary, that means that you as the leader have to know those things. There's a concept for you. You know, get to know the people that you have the privilege to lead. So you, you know when those things happen. And then I think the other piece of it is, is that when you can, maybe once a quarter, once a year, you bring people into the office, the people who can make it to the office, and you celebrate that way. You have a luncheon, you have whatever. Um, I think I think you can still do it. Does take a lot more effort in a in this environment of people working from home. So, is there um, if someone can't physically come into the office, is there a, a leadership approach that you recommend to manage uh, to make people who are remote feel as valued as someone who can come into the office who has that face to face contact? Sure, I I think that. You, if you have somebody who absolutely can't come into the office, whether it's for medical reasons or because they live, you know, in today's world, you could have somebody working in your office that lives in Tokyo. I mean, who knows? I, yeah. Then I think you have to make a conscious decision to engage them more often by Zoom and not just them, certainly you, the leader talking to them and getting to know them, but then also, like I said, 
you got to have that special thing once a quarter where everybody gets on Zoom and everybody talks and everybody, not about work, about personal life, about what's going on. Just get to know people. Um, because let, let's face it, if you don't trust, if you don't know people, you don't trust people. You don't, you're not going to trust somebody you don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. That just does, doesn't happen. Okay. So you've got to make a conscious effort to build that trust. And the only way you're going to build that trust is to, is to get people to know each other. So I read your book. I really enjoyed it. There were a few concepts that I, uh, that I noticed in there that I wanted to talk about a little bit. First is lead by example. So, you know, sometimes leaders have to make choices that are obviously not in their best interest. So in your book, you talk about having to let a 17 year army veteran go because he was displaying behavior that really was, I guess, for lack of a better word, unbecoming and it, it impacted your army career. Let, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I inherited this soldier. Uh, he had already been disciplined many times. And in fact, when I inherited, when I took over as the company commander, he wasn't even in the company. He, he was in the company on my book, but he wasn't working for us, for me. He was at the gym on post handing out towels. 17-year-old, 17 17-year 17 NCO handing out towels. So it came, <laughs> came to the point where he was getting ready to move to a new duty station, ETS, as we call it in the Army. And I said, and I, it took my signature saying, yep, it, it's fine. I said, I'm not signing that. I said, I don't even know this soldier. I know he's been in trouble. Otherwise, he'd be working for me. I would know him, but I don't even know him. And they said, okay, well, then we'll put him back in the company. And he came back into the company and immediately started doing the exact same things he was doing, borrowing money from privates. Um, he, he got a DUI. He got arrested for uh, assaulting his wife. And so I said, no, not going to, not only am I not going to sign that piece of paper, I'm going to start the process to to make him leave the army. And my boss, who is a colonel, full bird colonel, called me at my, in his office and says, you can't kick this guy out of the army. And I said, yes, sir. yes, sir, I can. He said, he has 17 years in the army. He deserves the right to retire. I said, nobody deserves the right to retire. I said, you got to earn that right. I said, I'm going to start the paperwork. And he said, let me just make this clear to you, Captain. If you do, this will reflect on your officer evaluation report. I said, sir, you can write whatever you want. I'm starting the paperwork. And I did. And to, and to be honest, and to his credit, he was honest. It did reflect on my OER, but that's okay. I, I, can, I can look at myself in the mirror every single morning, and I like who I see. And you had the you had the courage to be able to follow through, lead by example, um, which is I really enjoyed that that story in the book. Um, uh, you know, it, did I want to kick him out of the army? Absolutely not. No one wants to. But but no. but you know, you got to make decisions that are the as the leader, you got to make decisions that are the best decisions for the organization you're leading. And sometimes those aren't pleasant decisions, but you got to have the courage to make them. Yeah. So how does a leader know if he's communicating effectively? What's a litmus test? Wow, that's a good question. I think one of the things um, is, are, are you getting what you're asking for? 
you know, we've all been there. I, I know I've done it. I asked somebody for something and a month, week later, two weeks later, they'll bring me the project that I asked for and I'll look at it and I'll say, no, not what I asked for. And they say, yes, sir, it is. And I said, no, it's not. But you know what? When you think back on it, I promise you that is exactly what you asked for. You just didn't ask for the right, you didn't communicate well. So I think that's one of the things. If people aren't giving you what you're asking for, then you're probably not communicating very well. And I think the other thing is, another good indicator is if people aren't coming to you with issues, problems, with mistakes, then you're not a very good communicator. You're probably shooting the messenger. And once you shoot a messenger, the messenger start coming, start coming, stop coming. So, you know, you got to make sure that, that you, you don't do that. So I think those are a couple of things. And there's a couple of ways to fix that. I had a, a really good friend. I have a really good friend who was a football coach, head football coach at the college level. Now he's the president of a university. But I used to help him. I developed a way for him, an easier way for him to pick his captains for his football team. He picked four or five captains. And then we get done. And the first time we got done with it, he said, okay, now I'm going to pick my communication captain. And I said, what? what? What's a communication captain? He said, I picked three people who their job is they don't understand something that I put out to come to me and say, hey, coach, nobody knows what you're asking for here. And then I can fix it. He said, the first time one of them came to me, I was kind of had my feelings hurt a little bit. He said, but then I realized that's exactly what I'm asking him to do. He said, once I started picking these captains, they would come to me and say, hey, nobody understands what you're asking us to do. He said, things got much better. Communication got much better on the team. Strength in numbers, right? You know, if you got three guys coming up to you, there's a problem. That's right. So uh, there's also the um, motivation. So in your book, you, you know, you use the example of a food bank meeting ending at four o'clock. Everyone finishes work at four o'clock, wanting to get home, you know, have their, their, uh, their personal life, which everyone is entitled to. Sure. But there was a bigger, there was a bigger mission at stake. There was the need to obviously help people who were in need of the food bank. And, and you took an interesting approach in order to figure out, you know, how to get, how to motivate the team to go above and beyond. Let's talk, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think for me, motivation, when I talk about how do you figure out how to motivate people, one of the things I talk about is find out what makes your organization you, because that's probably why they joined your organization in the first place. So. I, you know, I struggled a little bit, you know, in the army, it was easy to motivate people. You know, I was a combat armed officer, walk in and say, Hey, it's important to defend the constitution of the United States. We defend the American way of life. Let, let's go. No problem. Yeah. Motivate. That didn't work at the food. Go figure. Um, so we were in a meeting and we were planning out the largest food handout that we did every year. And it was about, it was about three weeks away and we were trying to just finish up the planning of it. And at four o'clock, I saw everybody closing their books and, and ready to leave and putting stuff away. And I said, what are you doing? And they said, well, it's four o'clock. It's time to go home. And I said, but we're not done. And they said, but it's four o'clock. It's time to go home. And I said, okay. 
said, if you want to leave, leave. I said, but let, before you leave, I want to make some, one thing very, very clear to you. Three weeks from now, when we're handing out food and some 19-year-old unmarried young lady has to go home and can't feed her two-year-old daughter because we didn't get this right, it's your fault. How many people you think left? Zero. Zero. And, yeah. and, and you know, the reason they joined the food bank was to help people. Yeah. They just needed to be reminded of that. Sometimes helping people means you got to stay a little bit extra at work. And, and, it, and, and, it, and, and motivation is a tough thing because, you know, you can, you can use, you know, the carrot or stick and, yeah. but it's, and so in my experience, probably in yours too, it's tough to always figure out, it's tough to figure out what actually motivates people, especially the larger the team. Is there some sort of, not secrets per se, but some sort of approach that you found so outside of the army to be effective, um, outside of what, what you just discussed? Yeah. So I, I think number one, figure out what makes your organization unique, because that's probably why they joined that organization in the first place. So, and every once in a while, you just got to remind them of that. Um, having said that, there are people who are, you're not going to motivate. They, they are there to draw a paycheck and go home. And that's all they want to do. And that's okay. As long as they do their job, I, I got no problem. With it. That's what they want to do. I, I wish there was something more to it. I wish I could motivate them beyond that. But there's some people you're just not going to motivate. I think the other way to, to, to really get to the point of motivating people is again, get to know them. You know, I tell, I tell all the young men and women that I have had the opportunity, the privilege to help produce as officers in the army. And that's over 500. I think now we're, I'm at 580 something lieutenants that I had my hand in producing for the army and for the nation as leaders. And I would tell every single one of them, the day they got commissioned, your goal should be every day, go out and find one person and find out one new thing about that person. Not about work, about their personal life. What's their spouse's name? What's their kid's name? What sports do their kids play? What's their hobbies? What do they like? What don't they like? And if you learn people, the more, pe the more you learn about somebody, the more you are able to motivate the person. Because you know what they like, what they don't like. When it comes to handing out a task at work, you, you know, well, that's not the right person to give that task to. I need to give it to this person. That task needs to go to this person. So I think that will help you motivate people as well. If, if you get to know them, then you get to know how to lead them a little bit better. Exactly. You invest time in order to learn about someone else and build rapport and go from there. So excellent point. In terms of winning, um, what's your approach to building a, a winning culture and then measuring that to, to ensure that actually you are, um, you, you have achieved what you're, what you're trying to do? Oh, I, I, winning to me is I want to win at everything. I don't care what I'm doing. If I'm playing old mate with my <laughs> granddaughter, I want to win. You want to win. I don't. I, I, I want to win all the time. So winning is important. In the real world, winning does matter. It, results matter. Um, maybe not in fantasy land, but in the real world, it does. So I think, and I've taken over some organizations that were struggling, um, that weren't doing winning, weren't getting results. And I think one of the things that I've found that really works well is 
you start you start with things that you know they can do. So accomplish something and make a big deal out of it. Okay, we set out to accomplish this. We did it. Good job. Now, now you raise the stakes a little bit. Once you, once you accomplish that, you acknowledge it and make a big deal of it. And the more you do that, the more confidence they get in themselves and in the organization. And then I think you can gradually get to the point where you're getting the results that you want. But I think, you know, the other part of that is that you got to be honest with people when they're not getting the results. You got to, and that's not always easy, but you got to be honest with them and say, hey, look, this is the standard. This is what we, what we wanted. This is what we did. Let's figure out how to make, make up that difference in between. And I think if you involve them in that decision-making process of what, okay, here's, here's where we need to be. Here's where we are. How do we make up the difference? If you involve them in that process of figuring that out, now they have skin in the game. It isn't just Colonel McCullough's solution. It's our solution. And now they, they will work a little bit extra to make sure that it works. So, uh, you also talk about learning. Uh, so you talk about writing in a journal in order to gain learning. So why do you recommend that approach? So that old saying that you learn from experience, I don't buy that. You learn from reflection on that experience. Experience, you don't necessarily learn anything from experience if you don't take advantage of it. So when you have an experience, whatever that, then reflect on it. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that you reflect two different ways. You reflect on all events. So if you have a major event, you reflect on that event. So next year, when you're going to do that event, you've learned some lessons to make next year better. And then I try to, every day, I keep a journal. And I, and I even beyond the journal, I, I stop every night before I go to bed and I say, okay, what did I do today? And how can I be better at it tomorrow? And I think if you use reflection in that way, I think you'll, you'll see a huge difference in your performance. That's good. I can't even remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> at the end of the day, I can't. I worked out like we're journaling. midday no. right now. <sighs> so, uh, so we're just going to wrap up with something I call the noble round. It's just some uh, quick, uh, some fun Q&A. Um, sure. I noticed you like to fish. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I live here in Daytona Beach, Florida. It's tough to live here, but somebody has to. And so I, I live right on the ocean and the intercoastal. So I live right in between the two. So anywhere I look, I got water. And I like to fish in the, in the intercoastal, in the back in the creeks. I don't even go in the ocean to fish. And I've got, I've got my yacht. I got a little 17-foot John boat um, that I go back into you know, shallow water and I fish. And I, and I love fish. I don't even keep the fish. I haven't kept a fish. I don't know. How, couldn't tell you the last time I kept a fish. I, I just do it for the fun of catching fish. Yeah. Good. You've uh, obviously traveled a lot for work. What's your favorite place to visit or where would you like to go? Wow. So my favorite city I've ever been to is Prague. Um, and my wife and I went there right after I, I spent nine months in Kosovo away from her and the family. And when I came back, 
we took a little three-day trip, went to Prague and we loved it. It was beautiful. It's a beautiful city. And I actually had a good time. My favorite place that I've been in the United States is Yosemite National Park. Yeah, probably the, if not the prettiest place I've ever been in the, in the world. And second, New Zealand's pretty, a pretty beautiful place too. Um, I was on the South, we were, the family and I went to the South Island of New Zealand. I think if, if you asked me where I would really like to go that I haven't been, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and I would like to go to, um, the South, South Africa, Kenya, that part of the world. I've never been to that part of the world. On a safari? Yeah. Just to, not to shoot yeah. Just to see. No, no, yep. no. Just, <laughs> yeah. just to see yeah. the animals. Yep. <laughs> the other place that I really would love to go is, I, I would love, goes back to the first question, I'd love to fish in the Amazon River. So someday I'd like to get there yeah. too. That's good. And I, I noticed you're coming up on 37 years married. Congratulations. Uh, um, what, what's, what's your secret? What's your secret? I, I think one, I think is, you know, spend time when you can spend time, get to know your, your spouse, uh, what they like, what they don't like, really get to know them. Um, and, and then I think, you know, my wife and I are pretty, um, we, we communicate very well. So if there's something I'm doing that she doesn't like, she tells me if there's something I've, she's doing that I don't like, she tells me. And we try, we tr actually make an effort to try to stop those things. And, and it's worked out for us. See, I'm coming up on 30 years this year. My secret is four words, happy wife, happy life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it I, works. I, I always tell people, like, I want to be in charge all the time, but I know when I come in my house, I'm not in charge anymore. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I appreciate your time, Oak. Before we go, um, how can people reach you? I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I, I have a, a website. Um, that you can go to. And on that website, it has my cell phone number. It has my email address. It has a link to all the social media I'm on and I'm on all of it. Um, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the social media I work the most. And that's how we connected was on LinkedIn. And uh, if you want to contact with me either to just talk to me, let, have me on your podcast, have me come speak at an event, whatever it is, just in contact with me. I'd love to talk to you. All right. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jason. This has been, this has been great. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate us and spread the word. Do you have any questions or suggestions or are you an HR leader that has great stories and advice to share? then send me a note at podcast at noblesearchgroup.com. That's podcast at n-o-b-l-e searchgroup.com.